Welcome to DP City Church Podcast. Connect, grow, serve. All right. Well, hey, listen. So if you were here Sunday, you heard I've had this sermon for a while, and uh, I've been working on it and actually have had it done, but thought it was a really good time to use it. So how many have ever played the game Uno? See, my kids actually used to like the game Uno. We don't get to play it very often. But here's the thing I like about Uno, is usually this is what my hand looks like. Right? Am I the only one? I usually have multiple cards. And if you don't know anything about Uno, so basically you have multiple players and you all have cards and you have to keep laying them down and you go back and forth. And the first one to get to the very end and lay their second to the last card down, they yell, Uno. And that means that they're about to win the game because on their next play, they could go out and that's it. And the thing that's a real bummer is, like I said, this is usually my hand right here when they go out. And then you have to count all the numbers and you add it up and then all the stop and the why everything counts against you and it's, it's, it's bad. It's pretty bad. However, the best part that I like is sometimes when I would play with my kids, they'd have their two cards and they'd lay down the last one and they'd yell, Uno. And then all I had to do was go, ha, I have a wild card. And I'd lay it down. And next thing you know, everything changes and this becomes their hand. And then I could win the game simply because I had a wild card that they didn't see coming. They were so excited because they were about to lose the game and everything was about to be over and everything was going to count against me until they said Uno and I laid down the wild card. And then I was able to change everything. It was one of those, it's one of those games where you just, you think you got it all down and everything's going in your favor, but it doesn't. Or you think nothing's going in your favor and God plays a wild card. I kind of like that. Yeah. I like the Uno. I like the wild card, the draw four. I like the making the enemy pay it back, giving me double, giving me a hundredfold, making him look like a fool. Am I the only one? Yeah. I am? No. Wow. I was welcome. Welcome to the sermon. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, life can be kind of like that sometimes, is that we can be in this mode where we feel like everything is against us. And you just get one, you get another card dealt and another card dealt and it's over and it's over and you think, gosh, when is it going to end? And you have this stack of cards against you and it's like they're bigger and they're bigger and they're bigger and then it's like the enemy's going to win. It's going to all crumble. You're going to lose everything, but then God steps in. It's kind of like my other sermon. I like big butts, B-U-T, B-U-T, I like big butts. It's the same thing, but God plays, God plays on top of the Uno, and he changes everything. He changes the whole scene. He changes the whole story. And just when you thought your story was written, and this is how things are going to happen, it's nothing like you thought. And how many have ever been in a situation where you think, okay, God, uh, this would work if... Now, okay, let me rephrase this. I get in a lot of situations where I tell God... Listen, I've got a really good plan. If you would just do this right here, if you just do this, everything will change. It'll be really good. 
and he doesn't seem to listen. And then I think, well, you passed up a really good opportunity. And so I say, well, that's okay. You missed this opportunity. I have another opportunity for you. Am I the only one? Again, once again, I'm the only one. That's okay. So we get in these situations where we feel like it's all opposite of what we need. Or we feel like maybe God hasn't answered what we need to have. Or he hasn't done what, you know, my good idea was. Or my good solution. Or what I thought was a really great idea. And what I'm learning is that the things that I think are impossible are nothing of what God's thinking. Ever. Even in a wild card. The wild cards don't even look the same. He's playing a completely different game. It's like he throws a dice into the Uno, and it changes everything. And I, How did that happen? Yahtzee. Yahtzee. You can't play Yahtzee in Uno, I don't think. Is there a game like that? Uh, there probably is. There probably is. <laughs> so here's the thing. Tonight we're going to talk about limitless, because I'm somebody that believes God can do absolutely anything. But what I've learned is that my anything is not even enough. Even the things that I think are completely impossible, and I sit and I think, I mean, when I was preparing for this the last couple weeks, I I thought, what is the most out-of-the-box, crazy thing that I think God could do for me? And, And I don't even believe that is the limit. I think I can't even think of what God can do. I'm not creative enough. I am, I am full of limits, but God is limitless. The Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. So my greatest thought, because I'm a brilliant genius, yeah, speak it out, you know. My greatest thought is not even close to what God can do. I can't even imagine what God can do in my life. And yet I sit back and I think I can remind God of all the ways that he could help me. It doesn't happen. So limited means to bind, to limit, or restrict, or to hold back. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd love to have a limitless faith. And, you know, during all these fires and stuff, uh, if you're on Facebook or social media, you probably saw a lot of the different stuff going around. We're all going to die. Our town is burning down. People 20 miles away were evacuating because they smelled smoke. Don't get me wrong, we have people in here that were evacuated. It was a serious situation. However, it became a point online, I couldn't handle it anymore, and I don't speak up often, but when I do, I, I probably speak too loud. But apparently, according to some, I spoke too loud. Because I went on and I said, I don't understand how we can live in Hemet and say we're people of faith, but we're acting like our town is burning down. Like God can't change the wind. God can't bring the rain or just all of a sudden stop the fires. We all have to go in a panic and turn around in circles and panic and think that God has left us and all this other stuff that people was posting. And so I went on and said, last time I checked, Hebrews says that he's the God of everything. He created man out of dust. He spoke the world into existence by his word. He, I mean... All of the different things he did, and we in Hemet think that this is as far as, well, this is, God's going to have to step in somewhere. Hopefully, he comes through and does what needs. I had people get mad at me online because I posted my faith. I had people think, I actually had people write to me personally 
in private messages and said, how can you go on and judge other people for being fearful? And I said, I'm not judging anybody. Fear is a real thing. How many have ever dealt with fear? Anxiety and fear is a real thing. But you don't have to live in it. And last time I checked, God doesn't say to live in your fear and then wait for God. God says to speak over your fear. God says to speak against your fear, against the things that the enemy is coming. And last time I checked, we're supposed to speak life into things. I'm going to move on. Okay. Knock, knock. Did you say knock, knock? Who's there, man? Okay. All right. (laughs) One of my favorite people in the Bible, I have two favorite people, David and Moses. I love Moses because Moses is so incompetent, and he, he stutters. He's not really a good leader. He's a murderer. I never murdered anybody. He's just, he's kind of an outcast. And, you know, when we, when we read the story of Moses, it starts by, by all the boys are being killed. All the baby boys are, are dying. And so his parents, his mom, sticks him in a reed basket, sends him down the river. This is my abbreviated version, so it's okay. You can find it in the store. And... And it says he got sent down the river. Pharaoh's daughter rescues him, saves the baby boy, raises him in this palace as a prince, the prince of Egypt. We were just talking about the movie. So old that it's on VHS. Who knew? Be kind, rewind. Okay, so, sorry. Only the older people laughed. Whatever. Only we know what that means. So it says says that (laughs) he was raised as a prince of Egypt, in wealth. So his people, his Hebrew people that he was actually a part of, he has no idea. Until one day he finds out that he is a Hebrew, all of the people that are slaves, that are living in poverty, he realizes that that's really his family, and he's living this high life as a prince. And so one day we find out that he is cast out because he murders somebody who's beating a Hebrew. So next thing we know, he leaves the palace, he leaves all the wealth, and he leaves all the despair of the Hebrew people, and we don't know where he goes. He goes off. Next thing we know, God finds him. told you this is abbreviated version. God finds him in the desert, so much so, tending sheep completely opposite of what he grew up knowing, completely opposite. He's tending to his sheep of his father-in-law, and it says that God starts talking to him out of the fire of a bush. Now, I don't know about you, I think I'm kind of a Moses sometimes where God has to do these really extreme things just to get my attention, right? Like, don't get to that point. I don't know if I ever saw a bush burning on fire with no reason and it doesn't really burn and then it starts talking. That's definitely out of my limit, out of my limit. So it says that he goes through his life and it says that when God talks to him, basically he says, you're going to be the one who goes and rescues all your people, That's one of those impossible, nobody ever thought, it's an uno moment, somebody lays down a wild card because Moses was not the one to save the people. He was a murderer, he was, didn't belong to anybody, he wasn't really a Hebrew anymore, he was no longer a prince of Egypt, everybody hated him on both sides, he's married to a wife that doesn't want to travel with him, doesn't even believe that God really talked to him, so she stays behind, he ends up going being the savior of Egypt. And then we hear that there's all these plagues. All these plagues happen, and the people of, of, of the Hebrew people end up hearing that God is the God who he says he is. He does all the things that nobody ever thought. Who would think that frogs would take over the land? Or gnats, or locusts, 
or all the, all the livestock were going to die, or worse yet, that all the firstborn. And not just the firstborn, it's the firstborn at any age. So it's not just like babies or toddlers. How many in here are the oldest in your family? You were the first, you're all dead, sorry. You were gone. That's it. You're out. <laughs> That's it. You're, were you one of them, Reggie? Yep. Sayonara, my friend. All right. So, firstborn. It didn't matter if you were 90 or you were two. If you were a firstborn, that was it. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that God of Israel, of the Hebrews, would go that far? But yet he went that far because he was there to save his people. And so we hear that next thing we're told is that the Hebrews are released from Pharaoh because Pharaoh's just done with it. It's the great day. They all get to leave. Two and a half million people end up upping and leaving. Just take everything you have, anything you can carry, plus your livestock. So not just two and a half million people, two and a half million people with their belongings and their livestock are now exiting the city. Talk about a traffic jam, right? But it says that they had to leave everything they had. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get really comfortable in my despair. I get really comfortable with my environment, even if it's unhealthy. And I would imagine you had a lot of grumbling Hebrews. What do you mean we're leaving? Like we have to leave now? We have to leave now. Well, how am I going to pack it? Just take what you can carry. Put it on your livestock. We're leaving. We have to go now. Two and a half million people. I would imagine there were some grumbling people, but it says everybody leaves. And it says that for 17 days, they believed they walked through the desert and then they finally reached the point where Moses gets to the edge of a cliff right at the Red Sea. And they camp there. And it says for over seven days, they're camping there when they finally hear Pharaoh and all of his armies coming after him. Now imagine this is the edge of a sea. You've got two and a half million people. It's not like you can just, hey, everybody turn around and go that way. There ain't no turning around. They're coming after you. And it says this when we get to Exodus. It says, 14 verse 10, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'd be screaming. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out to Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Anybody ever been willing to die in your desert because it's uncomfortable? Just me. Just me. That's okay. <laughs> the word cry out actually means to shriek. It wasn't even like a, a moaning or a grumbling. Like they were... They were crying out. They were probably wailing. Why would you do this? Because they knew the Pharaoh. They knew the enemy that was coming against him, and there was nowhere to go. They have a sea of water in front of them. What do you do? It says in Exodus 14, 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, but stand firm. I find that funny. Where are they going to go? Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord you bring today, that he brings today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. I don't know about you, but if I've got 
Pharaoh and all of his armies and chariots and everything coming at me, and I'm at the sea, last thing I want to do is to stand still. I want to find a way down and out. But it says that Moses told him, just stand still. Just hold still. Just hold on a little bit longer. God is on the way. He doesn't say what God's going to do because I don't think Moses knew what God was going to do. He just said, out of faith, you have to stand still. We've seen God move before, and we know God's going to do it again. But sometimes we sit back and go, I know God did it before, but there's no way out of this. There's no way beyond this. This is too much. This is too much for God. I don't believe that. But can you imagine standing when you're still hearing the thousands of chariots coming after you? It wasn't quiet. They weren't standing and cowering behind rocks. Two and a half million people plus their livestock. Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Move on. You got to see in front of you. You're supposed to tell the Israelites to move on. And the Lord says, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Now that's one of those uno moments. That's one of those somebody threw the dice in the wrong game. Because I almost read it as though God was like, why are you yelling at me? Just put your staff out. Divide the sea. Like, duh. Who wouldn't have known that? Okay, that wasn't in the Bible before. Like, we can go, oh, well, remember the time in the Bible where it says that God parted the Red Sea? Maybe God will do that now. Well, now that's in our thinking, but that wasn't in his thinking. But yet God was like, why are you crying out? Just hold your staff out, and you'll see the, the sea part. That wasn't, I don't believe that was something Moses thought of. I don't know. I'm not that creative. I never would have thought of it. Now I would think of it because, wow, God did it before. He can do it again. But back then, it was one of those, yeah, just put your staff out. Why are you complaining? Duh. Isaiah 43. Thus says the Lord, which makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together and they shall not rise. They are extinct and they are quenched as tow. Remember ye the former thing, not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He always makes a way. God always makes a way. There is no moment where he doesn't make a way. He just doesn't make it your way. He just doesn't do it how we want to do it. Exodus 14, the message version, it says, The angel of God that had been leading the camp of Israel now shifted and got behind them, and the pillar of cloud that had been in front also shifted to the rear. The cloud was now between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. The cloud enshrouded one camp in darkness and flooded the other with light. The two camps did not come near each other all night. Now imagine, you're the Hebrews, you've been traveling for days, you get to the edge of the Red Sea, you have this cloud over you that's giving you shade and it's comforting you. And even in the middle of things happening and people against you, you still have something you can see. God is still over you. Moses throws his staff out, the, the oceans part, Red Sea parts. They start walking down. It's not like a block. It's miles. Like they believe it's over 12 miles that they walked. So two and a half million people with all their belongings 
all of their livestock are walking over 12 miles through this water. Now, we don't know how tall it was. We don't know if they could see fish swimming around. I don't know. All the movies say all sorts of stuff. Who knows? Who knows how it looked? It doesn't matter. It was 12 miles, two and a half million people. Kids screaming, crying, livestock, everything. I can imagine chickens are running around. I mean, my, my parting of the Red Sea is a little crazy. Exactly. Thank you, chicken in the front row. Is that you? Nice job. You're pretty good at that. All right. <laughs> so it says that it says that this cloud, once they start walking, it says that this cloud is now gone, and it's behind the Israelites. Now, I don't know about you, but when God's in the middle of comforting me, and then all of a sudden disappears, I kind of wonder what I did. Like, where did God go? Everything was kind of looking better. The cards were looking a little bit better. I felt like God was about to do something. He already did something, but I felt like he was going to do something again. I don't know what it was. But now the cloud is gone. I'm not sure everybody realized, you know, if you got two and a half million people and you're at the front of the line, the cloud is simply gone. If you're at the back of the line, you realize the cloud is blocking you from all of the enemy. So it's giving you light, but it's giving them darkness. And you know, sometimes God does things for us as a blessing, but it becomes a curse to the enemy. You know, he'll give you what you need. He'll do for you the impossible, which is actually the opposite of what the enemy wants. And that becomes a curse to them. So this cloud that went before them, that shaded them, that protected them, that gave them light, actually goes away and gives darkness to the opposite. And I believe we're in this time. I believe, you know, we're in a lot of times. We're always in a time, right? We always hear, we're always in a time. But, you know, we're in this moment I'm in this moment. I'll take you guys out of it. I'm in this moment where I'm like, why do I have limits? Why do I have limits? Why, why should I fear what the world is doing? Why should I fear what my bank account looks like? Now, if I'm being stupid with my money, I should probably be a little fearful. Why should I fear what the doctors say? Why should I fear what this person said about me or what the world economy is doing? I serve a limitless God. I can't even imagine the miracle that he can perform. I can't even imagine the things that he wants to do because I am so full of limits in everything I am. And yet we serve a God you can't even put in a category. You can't compare him to anything. The Bible says, who do you compare God to? Who are you going to send God to to learn how to judge people? Who are you going to send him to to show him how to create the mountains and creation and everything in the world? Who is he going to learn from? There is nobody. He is above all of it. There is no category. He created it. How he created the world with a word, I don't know. I can't figure it out because I have limits. But our God is limitless. Someday when I go to heaven, I'm going to figure it all out. I want to fly first, but whatever, that's another story. Just saying. We all have our thing. But we live in a moment where the world is looking for somebody to stand in the middle of chaos, in the middle of everything around us, that it looks like things are falling apart in other countries and even in our own nation, and the laws are going against what we believe. All this other stuff, it's stuff. And it's all coming behind us, and it's making noise, and it's bringing fear and anxiety. And some of us are bowing to it and crying out and shrieking in fear and going, oh my gosh, 
What are we going to do? Where is God? He sent us out of what we used to have. You know, sometimes our bondage becomes so comfortable, we don't understand what freedom truly is. We think that's freedom, and in reality, that's bondage. But it says, it says even in this story that the cloud protected them and defended them. And I think we're at a moment in our nation and even in our own lives, in my life, where I think, I know that God is protecting me, but I know he's covering me, and I don't understand it. I can't explain it. I can't write it down. I can't draw it. I can't paint it. I can't put it in words. I don't know. You want to know? I don't know. But I can tell you, my God is limitless, and it doesn't matter. I serve the God who put breath in somebody, and I don't understand how. It says in Ezekiel that there was a valley of dry bones, and he spoke, and he breathed life. I don't get it. That's a different kind of CPR. I don't understand. I don't get it. He flooded the earth, but yet he told Noah to build a boat, and it had never happened. It had never rained, and yet this guy has faith to do something that nobody understands. That's, that's the God I serve. That's the one I want. I want that one. If I got all these gods to pick from, I want the true living God, the one who created man out of dust and said, I'm putting my image in you, the one who gave power to raise from the dead, not just because I want to put it in a book and have a video and I want everybody to know my God can do it. No, I want to do it because I want people to be raised from the dead. Even Lazarus was raised from the dead and had to die eventually. So it's not a matter of the power of raising them from the dead. It's the power of raising them from the dead and showing them the power of God. It was the, it was the miracle and the testimony that spread to everybody else where they all went, wait, hold on. He was dead. Yeah, he was dead. But now he's alive. Yes, he's alive. That's the power my God has. But he's alive. Yes, that's the power. That's the power that's inside of us. We serve that God, we serve the God who went to Abraham and said, you're going to be in your hundreds, but you're going to have kids. I'm in my 40s, and I don't want any more kids. I love you, Sierra, but you're it. That's it. You and Cheyenne, you're over. I serve that God. I serve the God who's willing to put himself out there and say, I'll show you the ultimate miracle. Who would have thought, who would have thought that God would ever come down? And say, enough is enough. I'm ready to take over. Nobody would have thought of it. I don't care what you say. You think of it because it's in the Bible. You think of it because it's already spoken. But I serve a God who does things that's not even thought of yet. Only he has the thought. Only he's that creative. And I have nothing to fear when I serve the one who conquers it all. And when I get online and somebody's posting about how fearful they are and they're scared and they're nervous, you know what? I wish... Everybody would stand up and go, you know, my God says that he's the conqueror of everything. My God says that you can have life. My God says that you can be healed. My God says that you can be free. My God says you don't have to be addictive. You don't have to be in bondage. You don't have to be scared and depressed and nervous. You don't have to live in these boundaries. I serve a God who lives in no boundaries at all. Top that. But, you know, I can tell you, as soon as you step out in faith, you're going to have the, the people behind you, the other 2.4 million people, will say 100,000 are in faith. 
you're going to have all the other people around you go, but, but how? How is it going to happen? Where are we going to go? Didn't you see? They brought us out just to bring us to death. They brought us out, and don't you hear all the stuff in the world that's happening, everything that's changing, the abortion laws and the government and the president and Fox News and CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS? How many are we going to name? They're not the word of God. I don't stand on what they say. I stand on the word of God. I don't care what their opinion is. They're just talking commentary. Until you're willing to stand up for the truth, don't be willing to fall for what they say. Because you're going to be swept away with everything they get swept away with, which is exactly what happened with Pharaoh. Those that didn't believe the true God were swept away and never seen again. Live in truth. Don't live in fear. Don't post your fear. Post your faith. Talk your faith. And you know, sometimes you have to talk yourself out of depression. It doesn't mean you don't feel depressed. It means you're speaking life to your spirit. I still say the verse in Psalms, there's a verse where, where David says, my hands will be lifted. I will lift my hands. I will raise my voice. I don't think it was a like, yeah, I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to raise my voice. I think he was one of those that hands you're going to lift and voice you're going to raise. And you will stand and you will dance and you will speak against it. You will speak for it. You will stand up for those that are the downtrodden. You will stand for those that need God, that need help. You will speak the truth. You have to talk yourself into it sometimes because your personal being does not want to do it. But your spirit does. And the more you talk about it, the more you'll do it. I'm going to show you a video as we end. Thank you for joining us today at DP City Church. We would love the opportunity to pray for you. And we are believing God will do big things in your life this year. You can contact us at info.dpcitychurch.com. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can visit www.dpcitychurch.com. Thanks again. God bless.